Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping with us there as well. Today, we're continuing on a series that we've been going through for quite some time. But if you're new here, just to kind of catch up, we've been going through a series called The Practices of Grace. And really, these practices are the, the spiritual disciplines that uh, w- they're often called in the, in the spiritual life or the Christian life that increase our capacity for God. So they're the tools of God's grace that he's given us so that we can grow in him. And so we've been just looking at different foundational practices for people who are interested in following God and growing in their capacity um, for, for him. And so last week, if you were here, you know that Doug talked about the practice of serving. And serving is something that Jesus modeled, Jesus, something that Jesus uh, in, and also invited us to follow him in. And so it's one of those practices that when we, f- we follow Jesus' example and we practice serving, something amazing happens. We end up growing. It's just an amazing thing that when we serve, it just, we expand. Our heart for God grows and our heart for people grows. It's just, it's just a natural part of serving. Now, it doesn't mean that serving is easy. Because there's times when serving others is very inconvenient and very hard to do. But it is one of those practices that Jesus says, follow my example. So we've just been looking at what are the things that Jesus taught? What are the things that Jesus did? That if we follow his example, they will help us to grow. And so last week, like I said, Doug talked about serving, the practice of serving. Today we're going to talk about the practice of giving. And giving is one of those things where you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, we, I don't know, it's one of those topics that we should just avoid talking about. And I understand that. In many ways, it would be easy for me to just say, let's just skip that part and go on to one that makes me feel a little more comfortable too. But the, but the thing is, the Bible talks about this. And so it's something that we have to talk about, and it is part of the practices of God's grace. And so we're going to talk about giving today. Now, I do understand, again, why giving in the church is something that we tend to shy away from in terms of conversations. And part of it is because it, for many people, confirms if you're coming to church and you're coming to South Hills, maybe you're new here, you're at South Hills, and all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, this confirms to me that all the church is after is my money. So why did I show up? Or perhaps you invited a friend and you brought them here and they're like, great, a talk on money and giving. My friend is never going to come back to be with me. Um, I get that and I understand it. I'm very sensitive to it. But here's the challenge. We'd like to shy away from talking about money and possessions and giving. But guess what? Jesus doesn't. He talks about it. In fact, he talks about it a lot. And so the question then is, okay, well, why does Jesus talk about money and possessions so much in the Bible? And the answer to that is this, that God is and always will be interested in our hearts. That's what he's interested in. And he knows that money, possessions, is one of those things that can steal our hearts away. And so he speaks to it. He addresses it. He talks about it. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 6, this is what Jesus says. Um, he said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, where your finances are, where your money is, where your possessions are, where is what will be? Your heart will be. So he's very, always and will be very concerned about our hearts. 
And if we're to have a growing capacity, an affection for God in our life, God understands that there's also certain things that we need to be aware of that can steal our affections away from God. And when we put our love towards something more than God, it becomes an idol, and that's a sin, and, and, it, and it damages us, and it damages our relationship with Him and with others. And so God is very concerned about our hearts and always will be concerned about our hearts to say, okay, let, let me focus on this. Let me talk about it. And, and so again, it's, this is God, Jesus talks about it because he knows that he's not, a, it's not that Jesus is enamored with money, but he knows that we can be. Does that make sense? That we can be very, very preoccupied with money. It, become, it can become and is a primary idol in our culture, in our hearts, in our lives, and we can do crazy things to get money. We, we think that possessions will fulfill something. We like the power that comes with it, the, whatever the control that comes with it. We, we will go after money and possessions. We'll do crazy things to get money. People will lie to get money. Do you know that? People will steal to get money. Do you know that? People will sue to get money. People will uh, kill to get money. You know that that's, what, that's a primary motive oftentimes when... when uh, People will kill. It's for money. And I've seen enough Dateline mysteries to know that's true, okay? Let me just tell you right now. Let me warn you. Ladies, ladies, if your husband suddenly pulls out a million-dollar life insurance policy on you, do not go on the scuba diving trip with him, okay? I'm just telling you right now. I've seen enough of the mysteries and some of those things on TV to say, okay, this is a reality. We will do crazy things to get money. And so what God wants to do is help us get things in balance. Money is not the enemy, but it can be an enemy to our heart. And so that's the, that's the real focus there. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at is a parable where Jesus talks about um, our approach to money. That uh, money is one of those things, again, where it's this parable that we're going to look at today is designed to steer our hearts towards God when, and, and also to warn us because money can steal, uh, can pull our hearts away from God. And so we really need to pay attention to hear his warning and what it is that Jesus has to say when it comes to our money and possessions and why the practice of giving is so important for us to really understand and to do. And so with that, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning of verse 15 uh, through 21. We'll look at a parable of Jesus here and we'll, we'll see what it is that God has for us in terms of both a warning and an encouragement of his instruction. So with that, I would like to invite you to um, stand in honor of God's word. We'll read this passage together. If you don't have the, a Bible, hopefully you have the handout. It has a passage printed there. You can follow along with us. But Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, it says this. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. Teach us, encourage us, remind us. 
Lord, we thank you for your blessings and your goodness and your generosity towards us. And Lord, help us to be people who are generous to you. We pray this, God, in your name. Amen. Okay, have a seat. All right, well, this passage begins in verse 15, and I'll just kind of give you a little bit of context. The context is this, that uh, some people come to Jesus, um, really some family members come to Jesus, and they're in a dispute over money. They're in a dispute over inheritance, and so they're asking him for help in, you know, dividing things up. There's a conflict there, which is, you know, a hard scenario for us to imagine, family members fighting over money and inheritance, of course, but that's the context of this passage, and so there's, there's this war that's taking place, but Jesus doesn't address the, 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 their question. Instead, he steps back, and what Jesus so often does is he uses it as a moment to teach, and he tells a story, a parable, which is a story with a point, and he really wants us to understand something here in, in, this, in this parable. So we'll look at it together here in verse 15. It says this, then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he starts with an emphatic warning. He's saying, watch out. So he's very clear. He wants us all to pay attention and to watch out for something. Well, what's he warning us against? He's warning us against greed. And, and this is, again, greed, envy are the twin sisters that want to steal our hearts away from God. So he says, listen, I'm interested in your hearts and greed and the envy, all these things, they can steal it away. And I want you to have a proper perspective when it comes to money and possessions. That's what the setup for the story that then Jesus is going to tell with a point. And so then he says in verse 16, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So it begins here, it says, with the ground of a rich man that yielded an abundant harvest. So this is a blessing. This is a guy who's uh, a farmer, and it's the ground that he's farming is really fertile, and there's a great harvest. And with that great harvest, he's then now faced with a new problem, which is, okay, I have now this abundance of, of crops. What am I going to do with it? I've got to figure out a way to store it because if I just leave it out, you know, either it'll, the weather will destroy it or the animals or people will steal it. And so I've got to do something. So he says, he says in verse 17, thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store this. So then he comes up with a solution in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So he says, okay, this is what I'll do. I, I got to expand um, to make room for the crop, this, this surplus that I have. And so I'll tear down the old barns that are too small. I'll build bigger ones that I'll be able to hold all the grain, all the crops that I've received from this abundant harvest, the surplus, which makes a whole lot of sense. Then verse 19, it says this, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So he says, as he's thinking about his plans and he's thinking about expanding his business, he's thinking, man, with all this surplus, after I get all this stored, guess what? I will be able to um, sit back and I'll be able to eat, drink, and be merry. This would be kind of, a, he's excited about the future because of this great harvest that he's received. Now, before we now look to what, how God responds to this, this man, this businessman here in this parable, let me just review with you what we know about this guy from this, from this story. So what do we know about this businessman from the story? First of all, we know that he had an abundant harvest. It says that 
the ground he had grew. And so there, it grew the abundant harvest. So there's, he's blessed. He's, he's experiencing a, a, a blessing in his harvest. Two, we know that he had surplus. And he didn't want to lose it. So he didn't want to lose his surplus, which makes sense. If you have extra, what do I do? I don't want to waste it. I don't know what to spoil. I don't want to get stolen. So he had an extra that he didn't want to lose. Then the third thing is he decided to expand his business. So he's thinking to himself, okay, well, I got I to gotta have bigger barns to, to, to store all of this harvest that I've, I've received. Then the fourth thing is he wants to retire early, which sounds wonderful, Right? All of these things are good. Now, if you look at this, you're thinking to yourself, that all makes sense. That's a story that we understand. And all of it really does make sense to us. It seems reasonable. But look at God's response in the very next verse. It says this, but God said to him, you fool. The question is, what? Why is God saying you fool? Why is God calling him a fool? Because all of the stuff that he's doing seems to make sense. I mean, that's the question that this passage raises. It's like, okay, all of a sudden you're asking the question, well, what did this guy do wrong? What happened? And so let's just review it again. What did the businessman do wrong? He had an abundant harvest. He can't help that. The, 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 where he's farming, it was productive. He didn't want to lose his surplus. Again, that makes sense. I, don't want, I wouldn't want to lose a surplus. He decided to expand his business. Good, good thinking. You know, the, the Bible talks about in Proverbs, be forward-thinking. Have a plan. Don't be um, a, a sluggard. So come up with it. And then it says he wanted to, the last thing he, is he wanted to retire early, which makes sense. All of that sounds good. In fact, this sounds a lot like the American dream, does it not? I mean, let's just put it in our language today, okay? Let's just kind of go back and look at it in our language. Sounds like the American dream. First thing is this, you're given a larger salary. Oh, you're doing a good job. You get a larger salary. Okay, fantastic. That's good. That's, that's a nice thing. Two, um, you max out your Roth IRA or 401k. So <laughs> you have surplus. What are you going to do with the surplus? Okay, I'm going to max out my retirement. I'm going to not waste it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to invest it. Sounds good. Proverbs would, would, would recommend that and encourage that. The third thing, you want to expand your business. That's not a bad thing. He wanted to expand his business. You would want to expand your business if it's growing. That makes sense. Then the fourth thing is this. You want to retire early. How many of you here would like to retire early? Doesn't sound bad, right? All of this seems reasonable to me. All the things that this guy does, all the things that we kind of are like, yeah, that's part of what we're trying to go after. So the question then again goes back to what did this guy do wrong? What did the rich man do wrong? And so let me just look at this verse. There's a clue here in this verse that helps us understand what's going on. It says in verse 20, but again, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Who, then who will get what you have prepared for who? For yourself. There's a clue right here, isn't there? There's a clue in this passage because he's saying, hey, listen, all of the, all of this stuff that you're thinking about is a, is a, as a blessing, that's good. I'm blessing, and you're thinking through all these things strategically, but who's it for? In his mind, it's all for him. So what's he doing wrong? What's the error here that, the, that God is pointing out? That this, the assumption that he has, that all of this is for himself. So if you want to fill in the blank, it's this. His assumption was that everything was for his own consumption. His assumption was, I will hoard, I will save, I will keep, and it's all for me. That's the clue to this passage. And it's, it's important for us to get 
So then I guess the answer, the question then becomes, well, what's the solution? Fortunately, God doesn't leave us hanging there. Um, Jesus continues on in this story to make another point, and, and I think it'll bring, bring some encouragement to those of you who have a retirement account, because it's not a bad thing, all right? So here's the next thing. I want you to see, what does he say next in verse 21? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So this is Jesus' final statement, and I want you to see and pay close attention to it with me, because it's, it's critical that you see it. I want you to see, it says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things, but, do you see that there? He's not saying it's bad to store up. He's not saying it's bad to invest. He's not saying it's bad to um, think about retirement, to plan ahead, to say, okay, I want to expand my business. There's nothing wrong with those things, but, so all those things, but if you don't have what is not rich towards God. So it's all about one of my, the assumption all this is for me, and then stop there and miss the fact that what this, what, what, where he was a fool was that he doesn't, wasn't rich towards God. And so just to kind of summarize the statement, this, this concept that Jesus is getting at here, I'll just kind of put it in words here to sort of summarize this. The problem was that he was using his riches for himself while not being generous towards God. That's the challenge. That's the problem. It wasn't that God was blessing him was bad, that he was being wise as a businessman. That's not bad. But that he was using it and consuming it, thinking it was all for him and not recognizing I also need to be, be generous towards God. If God's being generous with, towards me, I need to be generous towards God. In fact, Jesus talks about this again in other places. In, in Matthew, uh, 20, uh, Matthew 6, let me go back to that, that, that statement here that he made. Um, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So he says, your worldly possessions, your worldly wealth has a shelf life. It goes away. It will be stolen. It'll, it'll rot. It, all the stuff that we hold on to that we want to hoard and we want to store for ourselves, it does have a shelf life. It doesn't matter whether you have $5 to your name or $5 billion to your name. When you go, and it's your time to go, um, how much do you leave behind? All of it, right? So he's just simply saying, listen, if your focus, all your focus with your money and possessions is right here and now and right here on me, you're missing it. So then the next verse, he says this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That is, use your temporary resources, these, the worldly possessions, to make an investment in the kingdom for eternity, not just for your own consumption, but for an eternal investment, eternal investment that you're saying, okay, God, I want to build your kingdom. You've been generous. I'll be generous. This is the, this is the idea. And again, what I want you to see is God's, Jesus' concern for our heart. The next verse says this, and I just, I'll just put it up there for you to see again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is and always will be concerned about your heart. He's not enamored with money. He's concerned for you and your heart. And we get enamored by money, and it can steal us away from him. So he's, he wants us to, to get it. And he's, he turns to the, to the people in that parable. He says, don't be like the fool who thinks it's all for him and miss the fact that we're also called to be rich towards God. The question is, how do I be rich towards God? 
If God's blessing me and if I need to think about my possessions and my money, my finances differently, not just for me, but how can I be rich towards God, the question is, what does that look like? And it means, it, what it looks like, it means you're being generous towards God and others as a part of our way of viewing and approaching our finances, our money, that we practice giving, that we practice generosity. In fact, Paul talks about the church and he encourages and challenges to the church to grow in this practice. In 2 Corinthians um, at chapter 8, he says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul's very concerned that the church grows and excels in its faith. We want you to be growing your faith. We want you to be growing in your speech and your words. We want you to be growing in knowledge. We want you to be growing in complete earnestness and love. But he also says, but don't also neglect the fact that we want you to be excelling and growing in the grace of giving, the practice of giving. And, and this is an important thing. So I guess the question then is, well, how do we grow in the practice of giving? And it's an important thing. And the, again, the reason why we, we need to grow in the practice of giving and excel in giving is because God has been so generous towards us. In, in Corinthians, it also talks about how Jesus, who was rich, became poor for us so that we might be rich. That is, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our debt so that we could be debt-free. We can find forgiveness, hope, healing. He says I, he, became, he sacrificed, he gave generously so that by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we could be set free. We could have our debts forgiven and we could live differently as a result. So a church that is not generous is not reflecting Jesus. So we need to be generous in, how we, in everything that we do, including with our finances, because God gave everything for us when he sent his son. Amen? So we, how do we grow? The question then is, let's listen to Paul. Paul says, excel in the grace of giving. Okay, well, oftentimes we approach giving and we just kind of, we haven't maybe sometimes put a lot of thought into how do we excel in it? How do we grow? So let me get very practical with you in terms of how we can grow in the practice of giving. Okay, so we'll just talk, we'll just talk very, very um, practically. And I'll just for a moment talk about the ways that we tend to approach giving. We tend to approach giving in a couple of different ways. First of all, we tend to approach giving spontaneously. And let me just say this. This is not a bad thing. It is good for us to spontaneously give. Um, there's, it's a wonderful thing. When you get the knock on your door and it's a you know, middle school boy and he's selling you know, a book of coupons and, you know, and you're looking at the book going, man, I do not, I'm not going to use a single one of these coupons, but he's selling it to me so he can get a football uniform or whatever it is. You're like, you pay the 20 bucks, you buy the book, and you're just doing it because it's spontaneous generosity. It's spontaneous giving. And that's a great thing. It's good to be able to do that. You, you drive by and you see a homeless person and you want to offer them food. That's spontaneous giving. That's great. You, you see someone who's, um, um, you haven't seen in a while, you, you go out for a meal, coffee, lunch, whatever it is, and you pay for the meal. You spontaneously, generously give. That's fantastic. It is good to give spontaneously. It's good to give generously. We do that as a church where we say, hey, you know what? And, and, and 
we have a need in our student ministry or our children's ministry, and, and you rally and you say, we're going to give to that because we spontaneously want to help support the next generation. We say, hey, we have a project or something that's going on in Kenya or Honduras, and you say, we'll give to that, and spontaneously you give. And because you, you, you see the need, you want to join in, it's fantastic. So spontaneous giving is great. This past week I was with um, a number of our, our church leaders, our elders, and the, there was, I saw spontaneous generosity just happen among those men. It was fantastic. They, there was a conversation about a, a van that we've been looking to sell, but one of the elders found out that a ministry here locally that we've supported and, and partnered with at times that, that's focused on uh, helping victims of human trafficking find housing and help out of the, the, the human trafficking uh, trade. And so it's a ministry that support, that's helping and housing and helping with that. And they were in need of a van. And so our, our, our elders said, well, we've got a van. We've been trying to sell it. What if we just gave it to them? Instead of trying to get money, what if we just gave it to them? And the unanimously, the elders like, yes, let's give it away. Let's donate it to this ministry. Let's partner with them. And then one of the other elders said, hey, and I want to make sure that this car is looking, this van's looking good, so I'm going to get it detailed. I'm going to make sure there's no decals. I'm going to get it all set up for them at our cost, his cost, so that it would be a gift to this other ministry here locally. It was just a great moment of seeing our church, our leaders say, let's spontaneously give. God's been generous with us, with our resources, so let's not hold on so tightly, but let's bless and give to others. So spontaneous giving is fantastic. It is good. That's how we tend to give in, in many ways, and it's great. Another way that we tend to give is surplus giving. That is, you find yourself in a spot where you're like, hey, I did get a raise, or I do have a little extra money at the end of the month, and you're, or at the end of the year, you've paid all your bills, and you've, you've you know, figured out all your savings or whatever it is, and you have extra. You come to a spot where you say, I've got some extra, some surplus. What could I do with it, Lord? And that's a great question to say, could I bless someone with this? Could I use it and invest it in some way? So surplus giving is great when you're saying, I've got leftovers, I've got some extras. What could I do with it? How could I share it with others? Then there's um, another way that we tend to approach giving is this, that we do it sporadically. When we give simultaneously and, and with our surplus, it tends to be a bit more sporadic where we just say, okay, there's a need, I'll, I'll give to it. And then there may not be a need that you see or know of or aware of. And so it may be for a while that you give again. And then sporadically, you just find these different spots that you can give. And that's a, ten, a way that we tend to do it. Then there's also um, sparse. We tend to, oftentimes, when we're kind of giving and um, we just generally approach giving, it tends to be sparse. And so I'll just kind of add some, some language here to this, these, these two last ones. That the sporadic part is that we don't always give very often, and the sparse part is we don't give very much. And so that's the kind of the typical approach to giving. And it's, again, not all bad. It's good, but if we're asking the question, how can we be growing, what would it look like for us to be growing in terms of the practice of giving? And so let me give you a couple of different ways that we can be challenged and encouraged to grow, to excel in the grace of giving. So the first one that I'll put up is this, that our giving would be planned, that our giving would be planned. Um, It's good to be spontaneous. In a moment to say there's a need, I'm going to give to it. That's fantastic. But to grow in giving would to say, I'm also going to plan out my giving, not just live uh, spontaneously, but live with a plan. And we do this, by the way, in lots of other arenas. So we plan out our savings, we plan out our spending, we plan out our retirement. Why don't we stop and say, how can I plan out my giving? 
What am I going to give to? How can I join in with God what he's doing and be a part of building his kingdom? So let's plan it. That's a, that's a, a, a step that we can take in terms of growing. Not just planned, but how can we also um, be, uh, be, uh, have, be priority giving? So that's the second thing, if you want to write it down, is priority giving. That instead of uh, saying, okay, I've got um, the surplus side of things, that is the, the, the extra at the, at the end of the year or at the end of the month or whatever it might be, what if I just said, hey, this is the priority, so it's the first thing that I do. That is the priority of how I handle and how I manage my funds. And so let me just give you a couple of reasons why priority giving is good for us to do. So why priority giving? Let me give you a couple of reasons why priority giving. First of all, I'll say this. It's literally putting God first. When we say priority giving over, um, you know, the, the surplus giving, that is, it's the first part of the, the month, the first part of your giving instead of the last part. And the last part, it's great. If you have an excess and you have a mind to say, God, I want to use it for you, fantastic. But priority giving also helps us say, this, what's the first part? And in fact, in the Bible, it talks often about the first fruits. And in their culture, so much of it was farming, right? And so after the harvest, they would bring the harvest in. And instead of at the end of the, the you know, having, having all their harvest set aside and say, was there any leftover at the end that we can give? It's the idea was at the very beginning of the harvest, when you bring it in, this is the first fruits. I bring my first fruits to God, prioritizing, saying this is first, and then I live on the rest. That's, that's the idea. So it literally is us putting God's, uh, God first. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing um, for us to do. In fact, uh, for, uh, for many of you, this is just how you have given for a long time, where you just say, okay, this is the beginning of the month, the beginning of the, my paycheck. I'm giving. This is a part of the, the first fruits that you give, and that's a fantastic thing. The second thing is this. It allows you to predecide what you will give. By prioritizing your giving, Instead of just in the moment, spontaneously giving here or there, which again, I'm not saying is bad, but it allows you to say, I'm going to predetermine what it is I'm going to use my funds for, how I'm going to give. And Paul talks about this as well. In 2 Corinthians, he says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's talking about making decisions about where you're going, what you're doing, how you're using your finances. So predeciding is a part of that prioritizing how I'm going to use my funds. And then there's a third one. Third one is this. It increases your faith and grows you spiritually. It increases your faith and grows you spiritually. This is an important thing um, because it's us when we come to God first with our money, we say, God, I'm trusting you with this. I don't want this to be an idol in my life. I'm handing it over to you first, prioritizing you trusting you, putting my faith in you, and it's stretching me and it's challenging me, but that's growing my faith in you. That I'm, I'm reliant upon you, not my paycheck, not my money, not my bank account size. I'm trusting in you and I'm, I'm giving, and this is a part of the priority of how I live my life. It really can be huge in terms of helping us recognize, God, it's not about me building my kingdom. It's me using the resources you've given me to help build your kingdom. It's prioritizing things differently in our hearts, and it helps us grow in our faith, and it helps us grow spiritually. Okay, now the next one, percentage giving. Percentage giving is another thing. So rather than, again, sporadically giving, what if we just simply said, I'm going to approach how I give with a percentage 
a percentage of my, my income, a percentage of my resources that God's blessed me with, I'm going to plan and give back to him. Paul again talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Let me show you this passage. It says this, now about the collection of the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's talking about collecting and collections in the church, the offering. This is what he says in verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, rather than just kind of wait and then have this, you know, kind of frenzied moment, we got to pull together a collection, just do it regularly. Do it regularly in proportion to your income and, and just give a, a percentage. And you, and you do that on a weekly basis. The first of the week for them was Sunday. So it was part of their Sunday worship. That's, again, what the practice of the church has been for centuries. And we just continue that practice. And so this is the percentage side of giving. Now, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, Paul's not saying how much of a percentage to give. But it's, he's simply encouraging us to think that through with in proportion to where we have. And I'll just say this. I know that we have a lot of young adults and even high school students who are in jobs and part-time jobs. And I know that if you were to ask anyone here who's been um, following Jesus for quite some time, um, who, are, who are older or who have been really saying, I want to follow Jesus, they would tell you, young adults, they would tell you, high school students, to start this early. Because it's way easier to start this practice earlier than it is later. To say, hey, a percentage is I'm saving a percentage I'm giving, and a percentage I'm going to live on. Does that make sense? That we just start that practice early in life. And maybe some of you had those people in your life that modeled that for you or taught that for you, but it's important for us to understand this is what Paul's trying to help us get as well. Now, the last one is this, that we would also, in terms of our practice of giving, that we would, do, uh, we would give progressively. That it, and as God blesses, that you would then also be more generous instead of holding back, that you say, God, as you've blessed me, I'm going to be more generous. And that's kind of the, the reciprocal part. And again, that's part of the percentage thing. If, you, if maybe you're, you're in a spot and you're saying, I'm giving 2% now, then maybe in this next year you say, what could I do to get, get up to 3%? You're just simply saying, how can I grow? This is not prescriptive by any means. This is just an encouragement to say, how can I as a, res- as a response to God's generosity to me, be growing in my generosity. And as Jesus says, don't store up for yourself stuff here, store up for yourself treasures there. So how can I keep me thinking eternally, kingdom-minded, generous, generously, because God's been generous with me? That's the whole idea that we have to get. Now, then when, with all of that, because there's just practical ways that we can be growing, the next question is, well, how do we make sure that we stay grounded in our giving? And so let me just kind of give you a quick theology, if I can, on giving, because we can get goofed up in our motives when it comes to giving. And I just want to talk for a moment about the motive side of things and what the Bible has to say generally when it comes to giving. So let me give you some principles for practice of giving. The first one is this, don't give to get. You don't give to get. You don't approach God as if he's some cosmic pump, and if you just prime the pump a little bit, you know, give him a little bit, then it's going to start flowing, and then all of a sudden I get rich. And then sadly, there's a lot of um, really unbiblical teaching in terms of, you know, God wants us, you know, healthy and wealthy, and, and that's just an unbiblical approach, a prosperity gospel. On the opposite end of it, there's the poverty gospel. Both are unbiblical. It's, it's, it's not, that's not the idea. It's not that we give to get, 
the reality is that we have the privilege of giving. We get to give. That's the whole concept. So it's not twisting God's arm to somehow, you know, bless me with more money because I'm giving. It's a privilege that we get to give because God's been so generous to us. The second one is this. Don't give to tell. Don't give to tell. Sometimes people want to give in order to be able to tell others what they're giving, and they get a little pat on the back. Look how generous you are. You're amazing. That's not good, okay? God is not impressed by that. In fact, he says, don't let the left hand know what the right is doing. You just, you keep it, you don't, you, it's not to be uh, self-promoting. There's no extra points for that. In fact, it's, it's uh, God has strong words against it. The third one is this, uh, don't give to compare. Don't give to p- compare. Don't give in order to say, look, I'm giving more than that person, or I'm trying to keep up with that person. Again, that stuff does not matter to God. In fact, in the Bible, it says when we compare ourselves to, our, to ourselves, we are unwise. So we're not to compare with other people. It's, it's, that's not the whole heart of giving. And so don't get goofed up on this aspect of giving as well. God just calls us to be cheerful in our giving because he's generous, generously given to us. So that's, that's an important thing. The fourth one is this. You give to grow. Give to grow. When we give, it grows our faith. It says, God, this is what I have, and I think it's all for me, but I have to trust you and, and put my faith in you and recognize that you're in control, and it, so it grows us. That's the amazing thing. When we give, an amazing thing happens. We grow. And it's not just that, we, that God wants to do something in us when we give, but he can also do something through us when we give. In fact, when we just bring our loaves and fish, God can do amazing things with loaves and fish, Right? And so the the whole point is that even with the little bit that we might bring to God, he can do something bigger and amazing and fabulous. And that's an important thing we don't want to miss out on. God's growth in us and God's growth through us as we generously give through the practice of giving. The fifth thing is this, give to let go. Give to let go. That sometimes we need to give just to let go of things, just so that things don't have us and, and things can get a hold of us if, you, if you're not aware of that. I've had the privilege of being able to take people to third world countries. And in those moments where I've taken people to third world countries, they're always looking around going, wow, I see all these people around and they have so little and yet they're so happy. And I'm like, yep. They're like, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, what do you think that means to you? Ah, I guess I'll have to think about that. Okay, keep thinking. Because guess what? It's important for us to hear what Jesus had to say, that life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. But sometimes we think our happiness comes out of those that uh, can get more. And, and we, have to, we can get it backwards. Because the, the truth is, when we have things that really have us, we need to let it go. Does that make sense? And there are certain things that we hold on to that have us more than we have them. And that's kind of the idea of like, oh, we got to let that stuff go. Otherwise, we can can, uh, get really bogged down, burdened, and miss what what Jesus is saying. Then sixth thing is this. This is the most important one. We give to keep God at the center. We give to keep God at the center. This is is the most important thing. That that we give to say, God, you're, you're centered in my life. This money, it can be an idol. This money, this possessions, it can have my heart, but I don't want it to have more of my heart than you. It's you first. 
God, you are it. I lay this before you, and I think in some ways that, that offering moment in a worship service or that offering moment for you personally to simply say, God, this is something that is valuable to me that I'm laying before you because you're first in my life. That's the important thing we, understand, we need to get. And I know that for some of you, you're skeptical. You're looking, sitting back saying, oh man, you know, what's the, what's the ulterior motive of this guy up front, you know? Um, is the church struggling? Is what's going, you know, are we going down? No, we're fine, okay? We are fine. We do not want something um, from you. I want something for you. That's the difference. And that's, I want you to hear the warning that I need to hear as well. That we don't be called fools at the end because we've been putting everything in what we have and missing the opportunity to be generous towards God and saying, God, you have my heart. You're first. I'm going to put you first. It's your kingdom, and I am your servant. That's the practice of giving. It's to help us put him first and to keep our hearts soft towards him. Okay? I think I've said enough. Let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we do want to keep our hearts soft towards you. And so often, the things, the stuff, the pursuits can get in the way of us pursuing you. And I know that there are some people here who maybe have yet to receive the gift that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I I pray for those here who have yet to receive your generosity your grace, your forgiveness, that they might turn to you and put their faith in you. Receive the gift of grace. Receive your generosity to pay for the debt of our sins so that they might have life. Lord, for those of us who have received that gift and have experienced your generosity towards us, Lord, help us to have open hands of generosity back towards you. We don't want to get to the end and miss the fact that we miss being rich towards you. So Lord, help us to be a people, help us to be a church that's generous and giving and rich towards you. God, we pray this together in your name. Amen.